Hi, this is David Spray. Welcome to another episode of my podcast. My guest today is Randy Reimer. Randy is a CPA here in Houston, Texas, who has his own boutique CPA practice. Uh, We discussed uh, all kinds of great things. In particular, pay attention to where he talks about some of the biggest mistakes he sees entrepreneurs make when they start a business. And then also he talks about some misconceptions that people have about CPA firms that are interesting. Randy is a longtime uh, friend and he's been the CPA for, uh, for our firm and uh, our family for a long time. So it was a real treat to be able to have really one of my, my favorite people on the podcast and be able to have this conversation with him. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did having the interview. Hey, Randy. Hey, David. How are you? I am great. And how are you today? I'm doing very well. Good, good. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. You bet. Honored to do it. Good. Well, let's get started then. So uh, my guest today is Randy Reimer. Uh, Randy is uh, a CPA, and he's the founder of a local Houston CPA firm called Reimer McGinnis and Associates. Uh, Randy lives in Houston and is married to Kimberly, and they have two daughters and several grandchildren. Randy, welcome to the show. Ah, Glad to be here. Thank you for that nice introduction. Been married for 40 years, two daughters and two granddaughters, which is just lots lots of girls, lots of ladies. In That's my, in my family tree. <laughs> and I think Kimberly is your high school sweetheart, card, college junior sweetheart? high, junior high school, junior sweetheart. high sweetheart. I, I remember the day when she walked into the lunchroom in seventh grade and uh, wow. hard to believe all these years later. Yes. That is great. Well, years. Wow. Well, that I don't know how you can have been married 40 years because Kimberly <laughs> looks like she's 39. So I yes, don't know she how, does. She does. But I'm not she real good at math. younger so. than I do. <laughs> so maybe I'm not very good at the math there. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So um, now are you uh, uh, from Houston originally or did you grow up somewhere actually, else? Actually, I'm born and raised in, in beautiful Beaumont, Texas, uh, southeast okay. Texas. I was born and raised there. Uh, it's really it's really kind of interesting as as you run around in Houston. The, the, there's a ton of people here that are from Beaumont. It, it, I'm always amazed when someone finds out I'm from Beaumont. Within a you know a couple of uh, acquaintances, we figure out we know some similar people that, that are from Beaumont. So it's and a great place to that... tell people. A great place to be from. Is what I tell <laughs> so uh, so do you think is that why there's so many folks in Houston? Just because the economic opportunities were better or why do you think? Abs- yes, some- absolutely. Yeah, I think that's the the real key is that the economic opportunities are so much greater here, and obviously much bigger town, a lot more to do. Uh, Beaumont's still a great a great town. My mom's still there, and I I go see her regularly, and it's still a great city. But uh, you know, and, and it, growing up, it was it couldn't have been more you know the perfect you know middle class America. It was just a great place to grow up, and back in the day, so uh, it was great. But yeah, the the opportunities that that Houston provides. Uh, is is truly almost immeasurable. I tell people all the time, especially some startup you know clients that are coming to Houston or new to Houston. It's like you know if you're in Houston, Texas, and you've got a great product or a great service, and you just do a good job, you, you can start a business here and, and grow it here. It's just it's a great city for people that are truly entrepreneurial that that want to uh, succeed and have a plan and and just take care of clients. It's it's amazing. Uh, the opportunities that Houston provides. So much more so than Beaumont. Uh, yeah. I discovered in Beaumont, you needed to have the right last name. 
right. uh, you know, the right the right heritage was important. And I uh, I literally grew up on the other side of the track, so uh, I didn't have some of those same opportunities. But uh, it was a great place to be from. I, I still still love Beaumont. Lot, and it's a lot to do with my roots. Sure, and Beaumont's like an hour and a half from Houston. Hour and yeah, about an hour and a half, hour fifteen, hour and a half. Yeah, not too far. Yeah. Of course, you know, famous for the, you know, really starting the oil boom. You know, and and kind of ironically, Beaumont should have been Houston. You know, that, that with the oil boom that happened there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, a lot of the Beaumont companies, if you go back and read some of the history of the oil and gas companies, they they started in Beaumont, uh, but eventually brought their office to Houston because Houston was just a little more progressive and building out downtown and, and being more business friendly than Beaumont seemed to be. So kind of interesting how that worked out. Because that was where Spindletop was, right? Exactly. That's where Spindletop yeah. happened. Biggest oil finds of all time. And there was lots more, you know, sort of mini Spindletops around Spindletop. So that's where, you know, Exxon Humble Oil and a lot of the, a lot of the oil companies, Getty had a big office there back in the day. So it's, it was, it, it birthed a lot of uh, big businesses. That is that is great. And your comment about mm-hmm. the opportunity in Houston, I agree with yeah. completely. You may remember back in the 80s, there used to be a joke that anybody in Houston with a cell phone and a leased Mercedes could be a real estate developer. <laughs> and, Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and I really think that encapsulates what Houston is all about. It's the yeah. uh, the most welcoming place I've ever lived, yeah. even though small mm-hmm. towns kind of have a rep as being a reputation as being more friendly. I've found the opposite to be true. I find that the yeah. small towns tend to be kind of cliquish and closed. Yeah. But the thing about Houston is is virtually nobody's a native. And right. so exactly. everybody's an immigrant here and mm-hmm. everybody remembers when they were uh, an immigrant. In fact, if you probably live here 10 or 12 years, you probably have lived here longer than half the people, maybe That's 15 true. years, yeah. right? It's just no, absolutely. Years, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's so funny because, you know, people, a lot of most people that are not Houstonians uh, don't realize how diverse our city is. I mean, it, it's funny. We just hired a young lady uh, who actually is from West Africa. And just a brilliant, sharp young lady, and and she was telling us the story. We were we were visiting with her about how she chose, you know, coming to Houston and coming to Texas, and and she actually commented that she truly believed that people over in Houston and in Texas were, you know, everybody rode horse, everybody, <laughs> you know, everybody, everybody. It was just like you know you'd seen on on TV that uh, it was this Western culture, and she's like, oh my gosh, you know, I get to Houston, and it's like. There are no horses, <laughs> and everybody here is so friendly. And there are people from every every country you can imagine, and all the different languages that are spoken. And, and it's just like, yeah, we have a amazingly diverse city. And I, I think that's another piece of what helps, uh, you know, entrepreneurship, if you will, and, and businesses here is that they're just like you say, we're all we're all kind of all in it together. And uh, there's no there's no clicks. There's no there's no organize organization you must be a part of to have success in, right, in the city. So right. It's pretty cool. Well, you were talking about the horses, and it dawned on me there is one day a year that there are horses on the street. There's mm-hmm. a rodeo parade <laughs> that Houston has a one of the largest livestock show and rodeos in the world, I believe. And yeah. right before it kicks off, there's a trail ride that comes down mm-hmm. Memorial Drive. So what yeah. would be funny is if one of those people who had that vi- image of Houston, <laughs> imagine if yeah. they were picked up from the airport and they were just driven kind of right down on that day, and they show up and they have to wait for traffic, like yeah, you know. Exactly. For for, for the, the parade to pass, 
Couldn't you just see those people taking? Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes that sense. Makes sense so now. That's right. It exactly makes sense that there's a few cars. It makes sense uh -huh. there's some cars too, but here's the horses uh -huh. I was expecting. Yeah. But then those poor people are going to be disappointed because <laughs> they're not going to see any horses yeah. for another year on the streets. Exactly. So, true. so, uh, so, uh, did you go come straight to Houston from Beaumont or did you detour no, anywhere? I, I did a detour. Uh, I made it, I went, I went to college not far north of Houston, a little town called Huntsville, uh, famous for a prison and a university, uh, same Houston state universities where I went to college. It's kind of interesting. My parents both, uh, went to college there, graduated from there. They were both school teachers. And so I had this you know, it wasn't like I had to go there, but uh, things just kind of worked out. I was I was fortunate enough to be a, a baseball player and actually played baseball for Sam Houston. So, and had a really good baseball program as well as a really good accounting program. So, uh, things worked out nicely. My my wife and I both went to school there and both graduated from Sam Houston with accounting degrees. That is that is great. And mm -hmm. you know, you're my you're the second guest i've had on the show who played college baseball ah. uh the other is uh my uh former client johnny ryan of alexander ryan mm -hmm. uh and he uh he played baseball for tulane ah. uh i believe and mm -hmm. he actually had a uh uh, he was given an offer for a major league contract or, or a professional mm -hmm. contract, not major league, right. professional, but he had already accepted his job, uh, yep. a job in Houston. And so he, he declined. And, uh, yep. and, uh, so I, I'm sure you did the same thing, right? I'm sure you had just plenty of offers, but you just <laughs> said, it's not the, not the life for a married man. The one that's right. Family, that's right. Exactly. Right. Well, you know, it's really interesting. Of course, you know, every, I think every baseball player's dream is to play professionally, and I'm actually, my father uh, was a, a ball player and played in the minor leagues, never made it to the, to the big leagues, but it was always a dream. And I, I actually had, was hopeful that I would get drafted, uh, but did not, uh, and, and did have an offer to go to a training camp, but I already had enough players or friends that, that had been drafted or played. And they had already told me the stories of just how many incredibly great ball players there were trying for very few spots and, you know, some, some of their advice was if you've already got a job and you, you, you can make a whole lot more money and, you know, you might as well just go go do that. And so I'm uh, I never did make that move and, and went straight to work. And, and I'm glad I did. It worked out. It worked out great. Still love baseball. Yeah. Still a big, big fan. Houston Astros season ticket holder for many, many years and uh, still love the game. Still, it's still the best game out there, in my opinion. Yes, I uh, I agree. <laughs> so you graduated with your accounting degree, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. did you, is that when you came to Houston? Yeah, shortly thereafter. I actually uh, started my career was kind of interesting. I I uh, was going to graduate school at one point. My wife uh, was working for a small accounting firm in Conroe, and was driving back and forth from Huntsville to Conroe for a while. And then uh, I got an offer to go to work for a larger firm that was in Conroe. Uh, and so I actually came, uh, we back, moved from Huntsville, moved to Conroe, Texas, which is just north of Houston. Uh, and I worked for that firm. It was actually an interesting practice. It was, uh, they had about 100 total people, but they were spread out in, in small offices like Conroe and Cleveland, Texas, a small town, and Tomball, Texas. And uh, Huntsville actually had an office in Huntsville where I went to college. Uh, but I worked out of their Conroe office, which was their larger office. And, and it was a great, great place to start because... Uh, they they get you exposed to everything, uh, audit, tax, accounting. We we got to do it all for the first couple of years before we sort of specialized. So it was a great uh, great opportunity for me, and it's a great town 
uh, where I bought my first house and we had our first child. So it was a, a good small town place to be. So we, we, we enjoyed Conroe, Texas. And it was a good start to my accounting career as well. So, yeah. So what then uh, brought you to Houston? Did you get an offer well, from Houston? Well, interestingly firm, enough, yeah, my, my, uh, my wife had left the CPA firm and gone to work for Conroe School District, Conroe Independent School District. It was the like the controller there, and and she had met some consultants that were working with the school district from uh, KPMG, which believe it or not, it was called Pete Marwick back then. Uh, I got there when it was still called Pete Marwick, and and they found out about me, and I met them, and they they made me an offer uh, to come move to downtown Houston and work for uh, what is now KPMG. So I made that move. Uh, and really spent most of my time there working uh, more in consulting in the operation or a division they called operations management, uh, where we spent a lot of time looking at organizations and helping them become more efficient, um, be, you know, look at the way they, their systems and processes and procedures were working and give them suggestions for improving them. You know, a lot of times we were sort of the hired guns as well, where we would come in and a lot of times some of these uh, organizations looking to streamline their operations, you know, trim some people, trim some costs. And so we, we were kind of the guys that came in and handed them a plan that said, okay, we recommend you change your organization chart and you restructure your company this way. Uh, and so I did that for three years. So you were the bad guys. We were the bad guys. We were like saying, we were the bad guys. You know, which is good because it, it, you don't have to work with the remaining people going forward. Exactly. Like the CFO does. That's ex exactly right. Exactly right. We were, we like I say, we were kind of the hired guns to swoop in, spend a month or two studying the organization and gathering all kinds of data, and then come back and and deliver our report and run. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so you, that was pretty common occurrence for us. Sure, yeah. Before the before they they, they tried to hang you, huh? tried to lynch hang us. Yes, exactly. Tried to grab us before we left town. Yep. Sure. But it was a great so, experience. I mean, we worked with some great organizations, and you know, I worked with a super super bunch of people that were just uh, very bright and very smart. And uh, but of course, as you would imagine, as you know, all the stories of the the big firms. I mean. I was in a different city every month, and I had two young children, and was never home. And while I loved the work, uh, it was just not not good for family life, and not good for uh, you know how to raise my kids and how to be a good husband mm -hmm. and father. And so, I had the opportunity presented to me uh, by a friend that I had worked with previously at my first firm, uh, who had found an elderly gentleman who was looking uh, for an exit strategy for his CPA firm. And so he convinced me to leave KPMG uh, and join up with him and, and go per, uh, acquire, work for this gentleman and then acquire his practice. And okay. so that's what I did. Okay. And then uh, uh, did you, uh, so let me kind of connect the dots. How long ago then did you form Reimer and McGinnis? Reimer McGinnis formed in 2006, uh, December of 2006 is when we formed Reimer McGinnis. Uh, the previous firm I had uh, purchased in around 1991, okay. um, and we we grew that firm, um, you know, a, a little bit, and then we kind of got to a spot where we felt like we had sort of hit the ceiling, and we had been approached by another larger firm in town uh, about merging with them a few times, and we kept saying no, and they kept coming after us, and we finally said yes, and so we merged with them in 1997. And that firm was called Noel Larson. Our old, our old firm, my old firm was Larson, Stevens, and Reimer. And then we merged with uh, Noel and Associates and became Noel Larson uh, back in 1997. Okay. 
and that was a good move. I, that firm grew substantially. Um, we, I think by the time we le- I left in 06, we were about 75, 80 people. So it was, it was a nice size uh, local CPA firm. Okay. And what, uh, what prompted you to, to want to leave and start your own firm? Did you see a, a kind of a space or niche in the market you wanted to? Yeah, yeah, we really did. You know, one of the, one of the reasons we left is just, we, we really, you know, we, we tell our folks this today is we wanted to sort of create a, a different CPA firm. We wanted to create a firm that, that was, um, you know, much more employee centric, much more about our people, uh, had a culture that was just very more more like a family and more fun. In fact, mm-hmm. one of the one of the core values of our our firm now is, is fun. I mean, we we actually love to have a good time and love to hear laughter coming down the halls. And and we you know, COVID of course has changed a few things here, but you know, we spent a lot of time uh, in our we have a large kitchen in our office. We we purchased our own building uh, years ago, and we've got a nice big kitchen and uh, lots of space to spread out we have a outdoor covered patio where we like to hang out and so we 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 really use our space to spend time with our our people uh, and so we really we really had this desire to uh, to create a culture and a firm that was just different uh, and we really you know we we really wanted to be small that the firm where we were was a great firm great people uh, but we just we just the direction it was going was not the direction we wanted to go so uh, Tom McGinnis and I left that firm uh, in 06 and started Reimer McGinnis and Associates with two other people uh, who were both at that same firm, one of one of which had worked for Tom for 20 plus years at, at his prior firm. Uh, so we we started this thing up with just four folks. Okay. And then it sounds like you succeeded, but you also failed, right? Because you're not really a small firm anymore, <laughs> are you? How many well, people are you up true. to? Yeah, we have we are up to 26 people now. So uh within 15 years we've we've uh, grown pretty substantially from 4 to 26. Uh we we kind of expected we would grow once we started the firm, but we we truly had no idea uh that we would get this big um and and have this many people and it just like I say was kind of a somewhat of a surprise to us because it wasn't really our intent uh to grow. Uh, it was really just our intent to, to serve our clients and uh, continue building long-lasting relationships with them. And, and you know, somebody had asked me before, you know, how, how did you how did you do this? <laughs> you know, one of my answers is, you know, that the old line, you know, being, again, being a baseball player from you know, Field of Dreams was, uh, if you build it, they will come. Right. And right. Uh, and, I, and I feel that's sort of what we did is we we uh, you know Tom and I. And we love to tell the story um, that when we started this firm, we literally sat at my kitchen table uh, and we sat down and, and got a piece of paper out and we wrote down the clients that we knew would come with us when we started our new firm because we had been serving them for a long time and and put down our, our pencil to the paper and had the budget together. And, and literally we, our first year revenues were within, you know, 2% of what we what we had targeted uh, but our, oh, our, wow. our discussion, yeah, isn't that crazy? I mean, we, we I guess we're pretty good accountants too. <laughs> well, I guess the lesson there is if, for my listeners, if you're, if you, uh, if you're trying to forecast something accurately, get Tom or Randy involved. Get Tom, that's, that's right. Get us to help away. you. Exactly. Yeah. We were, we were pretty, uh, we were pretty astonished when we, we sat down and looked at, at the end of the year that we had literally almost hit exactly what we expected we would hit. Um, so yeah, it was pretty crazy, but, uh, yeah, since then our, our revenues have quadrupled and, our, our staff has, you know, more than quadrupled. Uh, so it's just been, it's been a wild, 
kind of crazy ride uh, along the way. And so, uh, but what we felt like is just we we sort of told people that hey, we're we're really just servants. We're truly just here to serve other people. We happen to do it with accounting, CPA services, but that that's kind of who we are. Uh, and it was kind of interesting. We, at one of our retreats here last year or so, we kind of went around the room talking about jobs people had had. And we were pretty surprised how many people had had jobs in the service industry, you know, restaurants and hotels and, uh, you know, retail where they had actually served the public. We, we sort of accidentally picked people to come to work for us that, that had that same sort of servant mentality. So. And I believe that's what's been the, the key for our firm is we've found those types of people and hired those types of people. And they they serve the clients just like Tom and I always have. And they've told their friends and they have grown. And, and our firm has just sort of had this organic growth over this period of time. It's just been, you know, kind of fun to watch. Yeah, it uh, it is. And it's been fun for me to watch, too, because, uh, I mean, just from a full disclosure perspective. Mm-hmm. So we started subletting. My firm started subletting space at your offices a long time ago. And, and right. you know, that's still where our uh, mm-hmm. formal offices are. And um, uh, and you all have been the only accountants that our firm has ever had. So mm-hmm. that's been 11 years you guys have, have served us. Yeah. And then... Uh, uh, and then it took me, uh, let's see, you guys have served us for 11, 12 years this year, mm-hmm. but it took a few years to uh, to convince me to let go of doing the 1040 <laughs> myself, though. And I'll, I'll tell the, the story for the listener. So I would, because uh, I'm a, you know, a CPA by training mm-hmm. and I just felt like, you know, I had TurboTax and I'm like, I can just, yeah. you know, I can do this myself. And it felt like it kind of kept me grounded and, and uh but then it got to be, for whatever reason, our you know, with our you know, my wife has her own business, my wife has several businesses, and we just mm-hmm. our situation kept getting more complicated. And then it got to where I would have to go to your offices, uh, you know, every year and sit down with my laptop and TurboTax right. and your team to answer like the hundred and ten questions I had. And <laughs> and then you all just started saying to me, Dave, it would actually be easier if you just let uh-huh. us do it. Let us do and, it. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then I think what what and then what did it is because I, I think Liz told me that first, and then you you yep. finally said said, look, Dave, if we actually charge you for all the time we spend helping you do your return, if we actually charge you for that, it might be more than it would cost if you just had us do it. And of right. course, being the accountant, once I heard that, then it was yeah. uh, all bets were off. And I, th- yeah, and I think that was uh, was three years ago. And you uh-huh. guys, uh, you guys right. do do a do a great job. Um, so, a uh, question: I'm kind of jumping yeah. ahead here, but so um, so at some point, you and Tom are going to retire. Are you going to do True. like that other firm where you're just going <laughs> to find some stranger to buy buy the firm? No, you? no, we are we, we are not. Our our plan is to not do that. We really we really want to create a, a legacy firm. Um, and we have already we've brought in. We in fact we just just announced. I don't know if you saw the announcement just went out. I think this week that we've just brought in another partner into the firm, a young man named Mike Hewitt. Uh, who actually started with us as an intern, and again, kind of goes back to the people we've hired over the years. He he was a his father worked with one of my good friends uh, at BP in the accounting department, and this young man, Michael Hewitt, started with us as an intern. Uh, we had I think six people or seven people at the time, and he's been with us now over ten years. We've watched him grow, become a CPA, take on client management, and business development, and training of our people, and uh, just has done an incredible job. So. We are we're very excited about 
Mike, and we have another partner we brought in, I think, three years ago named Max Dunlap. Uh, Max was from Deloitte. And so we, we think we're in a pretty good position uh, for the next generation. Our goal is our goal is that Tom will retire a little before me and I'll retire. But we think we've created this organization that hopefully will continue after after we're gone or after we're retired. Uh, so we we do not intend to sell to the highest bidder as a lot of firms our size. We do get phone calls pretty frequently people that are looking to, you know, merge us in or acquire our practice. And, and while we've, we've talked to a few, um, we just have never felt like that was the direction our firm should go. And, and so we're, we're pretty committed to being a, you know, independent legacy practice uh, is certainly our, our goal currently. We've, we've told our new partners, Hey, the day comes when we're gone and you, you guys think that is the best move for the firm, then that'll be your decision. But, but we, we're, we're committed to headed forward and, and continuing to, to grow this practice as much as we can. Well, as a client, uh, selfishly, I'm glad that's your strategy because <laughs> it's, I mean, it seemed certainly from a client's perspective, it seems like a better uh, future than you being rolled up into some bigger firm or, you know, it's just sold off. And I've also got to think it's better for the employees too, to have that continuity and yeah. stay at the same location and, uh, uh, yeah. So I and, and I think that's a testament to you and Tom really living that servant leadership approach mm-hmm. because if you looked at what would give you and Tom the biggest bump in your bank account the soonest, right. you know, probably mm-hmm. selling it to an outside buyer. Yeah. But it sounds like that that's not your uh, your approach. Yep. That's exactly right. Yep. That's exactly right. Yeah, Tom and I. One of the, I think one of the beauties of our firm is 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 it's just been Tom and I's relationship. Um, we, we have our, our values are, are you know, all the things about us personally are so aligned. It's, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, we both are both work hard. We both do the right thing. We both, you know, have, you know, just this great families. I mean, just these, everything, you know, our, our personalities are so similar in terms of our core values, but, but we're very different in terms of the, the, the way we practice and, and who we are. Uh, Tom Tom loves nothing more than to sink his teeth into a big hairy tax return. And, uh-huh. You know, I mean, he just that gives him great joy. You know, he he really enjoys doing that and ticking and tying and looking at everything. And and that's that, I don't get my joy there. You know, I oh, wait wait I wait hold on hold on hold on hold on. <laughs> All these years I've had the wrong partner you reviewing the wrong our guy. tax that's returns. Right. Oh no. Oh well. Oh well. You, you, it seems like it's worked out okay. So anyway, not, so go yeah, ahead. Not, not, say, go. not saying I don't do it. I'm just saying that yeah. doesn't bring me joy. I understand. Uh, you know. <laughs> I much more enjoy discussing the return with you and talking about potential strategies and and things we could do to save you some taxes or whatever that oh, might be. Oh yeah, so, uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, okay. that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but I think that's been one of the cool things about our our firm and our relationship is is we both recognize that we have different skills and different different strengths and 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 we we let each other do what we do best. Um, there's never been any animosity or, you know, every now and then he'll tell me, you know, Reimer, you know, you need to be in the office. You've been, you've been out, you know, doing too many meetings and going to networking events or, or, you know, other types of things where you've been out of the office too much, you need to be in the office. Some. So that's about, about the, the strongest uh, criticism I think I've heard from him in, in 15 years. So well, that it's, just is, a good, it's been a good environment. Yeah, that is, uh, that is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Tom's, uh, I, I, it, you know, uh, I enjoy Tom as well. You yeah. guys are, are a great, great guy. team. Yep. 
So uh, let's talk a bit. Let's kind of backtrack then to the firm. Um, sure. So what are some of the things that you all have chosen to focus on to develop some, uh, I guess, kind of some niche expertise yeah. or who are you really set up to serve best? Why don't we start with that? Who do you want to be yeah. a hero to? Who's that ideal client for you? You, you know, our ideal client has always been the the entrepreneur who is very involved in his business, whose goal is to to create something. You know, maybe it's to grow it, maybe it's to make it big and sell it later. But but they really don't have somebody internally on in their organization who's really got you know, high level tax, financial, even maybe management skills uh, that, that really knows how to help them get to the next level and plan for that. And so, you know, we that's our, our bread and butter is that entrepreneurial uh, business owner who, who started their own business and it and kind of, you know, comes out of the, I know you've read the, the book long ago called The E-Myth. Uh, so yeah. many of our clients, so many of our clients come out of that sort of uh situation where they were really they were really good electricians um, Mm -hmm. and now they have a company that does electrical contracting and and you know they don't know how to run that business and so we we find a lot of our clients like that that have been in the corporate world or work for somebody else Um, you know one of our favorite client groups is in the oil and gas area um, does some manufacturing and 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 i love to tell the story because they literally started with the the guy started in his garage (laughs) I mean, you know, you hear that story, but he literally started in his garage and now they have about 15 companies. And I think, you know, at, the, at their peak, uh, oil, oil has an impact, the price of oil has an impact on our business. But at one point, the, the combined revenue of all his entities was over half a, uh, half a billion dollars. Oh, so, wow. you know, yeah. So, and, and literally he started with one company. Uh, I was introduced to him uh, by another client's accountant. Uh, she was doing this stuff part time, and he started growing so much that he needed additional help. And so we've kind of been with that group, you know, all the way through. And uh, so, so it's that kind of client that that we can start start small with and help them grow and and build. You know, we went from doing just tax work and a little accounting work to doing reviewed financial statements. And they acquired some companies. We helped them with uh, due diligence work and actually how to roll them into their company. And so, uh, you know, it's. Not all of our clients, of course, do that, uh, but that's sort of the guys we're looking for is that, uh, you know, I'm going to say it starts in the million to 10 million range and some of them, some of them grow from there. Some stay there uh, and we're, we're happy at, at either spot, but that's kind of our bread and butter. And, and over the years, we've sort of, our, our, we've sort of narrowed down our, our we kind of have clients in almost every area, but sort of our niche areas have really become um, manufacturing, and, and we kind of throw oil and gas type clients in the manufacturing space. Then we have a, a good concentration of clients in the real estate area, real, really kind of real estate and construction. Uh, and then Tom McGinnis uh, has been working in the healthcare space his whole career. And so he has got, we have a lot, he's got a lot of doctor and doctor okay. group, uh, type clients. And then the other area we've always been involved in is nonprofits. We've always had, a, again, part of that servant attitude we have here. We've always enjoyed being part of a nonprofit organization. So we've, we've over the years picked up quite a few clients in the nonprofit space. So we do a lot of nonprofit uh, tax work, nonprofit audit work as well. So those are sort of our four sort of niche areas, if you will. Okay. Well, that's, uh, that's helpful. I didn't realize that uh, about the doctor groups or the, the nonprofit. Yeah. I knew about mm-hmm. the manufacturing oil and gas and, mm-hmm. and the, uh, the, the, the real estate. Yep. Um, 
So, uh, so you talked about this one company um, mm-hmm. uh, that you'd helped. And when I worked at Arthur Anderson, I learned a lesson. They, the first thing they taught us was, was uh, if you ever mention a client by name, you can never mention any details. And if you ever mention right. any details about a client, you can never mention their name. So your big client, where we can't tell, talk about who their name is now. Mm-hmm. But is there another client that we could go the opposite direction, who you know, would would not mind if you mentioned that that you were a client, and maybe some examples of things you've done, or uh, does any any come to mind that? That they would love to get yeah. some free PR on, on my <laughs> worldwide uh, listening audience. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a couple. I mean, the one that that sort of comes to mind right now uh, is a company here in town that that's called Facilities Electric. Uh, it was it was really interesting how I became involved with them. I had been doing the 1040 uh, for a gentleman here named David Durrett, who was actually went to church together, was was good friends, and he started having me do his tax return. And just a 1040, nothing, nothing exotic. And uh, and then he called me one day and he said, hey, Randy, I've been offered an opportunity to come to work for this guy. His name is David Hatton. And you know, do you know him? And and I didn't really know him, but I was I knew some people that did. So I sort of checked on him and and found out that he was a you know upstanding guy. And and so kind of long story short, my friend, my friend David joined the other David and they basically began an electrical contracting company. And my, my, my friend David Durrett actually had been working for one of the largest electrical contractors here in town. And, and the beauty of that, I guess, relationship and that business relationship is I was involved with them from the very beginning when they set up the, the company and began doing work. And they had a couple of clients already. Uh, but, but the beauty of that story is that, that, that Mr. Hatton, who was really the, the capital behind it and the guy who, who was putting the thing together – uh, I helped them put a, uh, an agreement together that would give the other David, you know, ownership interest over a period of time when certain milestones were hit. And again, this was, goodness gracious, this was 15 plus years ago now. And, and now that company has grown um, in an amazing way. They have multiple companies. They've acquired a building. And so you know, I look back at, at that relationship, and that's been one of those that, that I, I, you know, and they just do fantastic work. They do work with a lot of the large contractors here in town. They've got a HVAC division now and a, a lighting division. And uh, anyway, so they, they're, they're a great example of, of some of the things where, where we've really been an integral part of all that they have done over the years and helping them structure their growth. Uh, they've had they've had people run at them to buy them, and we've been involved in some of those discussions, but they're still very independent and, and doing their own thing. And uh, it's been fun to watch them grow uh, kind of as we've watched our, our CPA firm grow. But that's, oh, that's, that's one a- really good story. That's a great one. You have another, uh, you know, sort of uh, interesting client uh, story. I mean, I love working with entrepreneurs. Yeah. That's who our <laughs> clients are too. Yeah. And they're just, if I feel so honored to be able to serve yeah. these entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have another yeah, story too. that you can talk about? I, you know, by yeah, name? I do. I, I, I will. I mentioned one more. Um, we have a client. I don't think they would mind if I mentioned their name. Uh, the company is called World Cinema. And, and what's really interesting about them is they are, uh, one of the largest providers of in-room hotel TV service in the, in the country. Uh, okay. if, you've been in a hotel, if you've been in a hotel, odds are, uh, you know, they, you didn't know this, but behind the scenes, they were providing all the programming in the hotel industry. And, and I love to tell this story because this gentleman who owns this company, uh, he has been a client of mine. His firm has been a client of ours since 
he was a, he was the client of Mr. Larson, who, whose firm I purchased back in 1991. So I've been doing oh, his wow. work since, since I got there in 1989. And and here's the cool part of the story for them. They he the guys the owner's name is a man named Chet Dixon, and Chet's rice a rice educated engineer. And and he saw way ahead of schedule, way ahead of everybody else, this desire for for TV in the hotel room, and so he he had the idea that if he could put a VCR in the reception lobby of a hotel, he would wire the entire hotel with cable, and the, and the hotel would tell their people staying there, hey, we're going to put in this movie at six, and this movie at eight, and this movie at ten. You know, Are you serious? Turn, turn, I'm dead serious. Turn your TV to this channel because prior to that, all you could get in a hotel room was the you know the standard pre you know pre cable uh, right. type, uh, type of programming. Yeah. So he began <laughs> he began that whole idea of selling movies uh, into the hotel rooms by literally using VCRs, and and obviously that company now has grown uh, to be substantial. Uh, well over a hundred million in sales. Uh, they operate in every state in the country. Um, just great company, great people, and of course now they're as high tech as you can possibly be. In fact, it's it's almost a challenge for them to keep up because the technology is forever changing. They went from sure. you know, obviously analog to digital to um, you know internet based and Netflix and streaming. And so uh, mm-hmm. the last ten years has been a real you know, constant technology battle for them. But we have been involved with that firm for, for a long, long, long time from, from when they were small to as they've grown. And, um, and, and we've done, we do work for the owner. We do work for obviously the company, uh, a couple of other spinoffs they've had over the years that, that they've had us do tax work for, and we do an audit for them as well. And so it's been, a, that's been a great relationship I've had over the years that has just been one of my one of my favorite clients, one of my favorite relationships that I've ever had in this business. Oh, I, I can imagine why. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that in mind, so let's imagine that somebody listening is just about to start a new uh, business. They're just about to mm-hmm. embark on entrepreneurship yep. and they're kind of not quite where to sh- know where to start. They want to not make the the 20 most uh, common mistakes people make. <laughs> so without giving specific legal or accounting advice, let's put that little mm-hmm. disclaimer in, but yeah, like yeah, in yeah. general, what are, what are some of the, uh, I guess the lessons that you have, uh, have seen your clients learn or pitfalls to avoid. So what are, what are some things that come to mind? You know, I, I guess the, the thing that, that is sort of the thread that I see with all of these these clients is is they all had a vision. You know, they, they all had, you know, you hear about, you hear that probably talked about too much in the business world, but, you know, you think, I think about all these entrepreneurs that I've worked for that started in their garage or started by running cable through a hotel room with a VCR. I mean, they, they truly saw something that no one else saw. Uh, and, and I think most importantly, probably saw the, the, you know, the ability they had within themselves uh, to, to make something happen. And so it's that, it's really sort of that drive, that, 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 that desire to go and bring that vision to reality. I mean, I, I still think that's probably, you know, the most important piece uh, as you're starting a business is you've really got to have that vision in your head and you've really got to have that drive that, that says, hey, I, I, can, I can get this done. And then, you know, the, the obvious other one is, you know, that you, 
we've seen mistakes. I've seen these many of these mistakes. Is is that you know lack of capital, and then that lack of having the, the right team around them. Mm. Um, that you know that that those are probably the next two mo- most important things. And you know even if you're on your own, uh, you, you still need a good teammates from the CPA side, the legal side, the strategic suppliers or vendors. Uh, that are going to help you you do what you do. Maybe it's your hey, maybe it's your web company or you know whoever that may be. But you just got to find the right people that can support you. I've, we've we've seen clients over the years that have had great businesses, but they unfortunately partnered with you know the wrong supplier or the wrong uh, service provider in some in some way, and end up you know all of a sudden heading one direction and and then dropping off the map. And so I think having the right uh, the right team around you is critical and then absolutely the right enough capital to get you to where you're going you're trying to get to because too often uh, I see companies just can't hang on. They don't have enough capital. And it seems to happen a lot with those that are that are you know coming out of maybe the corporate world trying to start something and and have mm-hmm. some capital but on enough capital uh, and just can't hang on because mm-hmm. uh, those clients that we've seen over the years that have really thrived, you know, have been able to survive the downturns uh, and then and then come out of those downturns and like hyper, you know, turbocharged coming out of those downturns because they've been able to survive it and uh, they've learned from it and become lean as a result and able to really accomplish more with less. So those are probably some of the, the real keys that I see. So uh, to recap, having a clear vision and mm-hmm. making sure that you've got that you're adequately capitalized. Yep. Hugely important. And the right team, like I said, the right people with you. Yep. Yeah. You know, that's just I again look at my situation here with Tom, you know, what I couldn't I literally could not have had a better partner. I mean, just and that's just and then the people the two people that started with us, I mean, just two great human beings that that worked hard that you know, had shared our values. I mean, you you've got a team like that. Uh, you can do a lot. Well, let's give them. Well, let's give them. Well, let's let's call them out. Was Liz one? Sure. Of them? Yeah, Liz Jackson is one of them. Liz Jackson worked for Tom uh, at his previous practice. I mean, they, they've worked together for thirty years, uh, and Liz is probably one of the best accountants I've ever I've ever worked with. And she she did not have an accounting degree, and and she you know sometimes would kind of you know, be down on herself and say, Oh, I don't, I know I don't have a degree, but, <laughs> and she, uh, she could work that circles around most of my degree accountants. And so I, I used to tell her all the time, I said, I want a whole firm full of Liz Jackson. I want, I want as many Liz Jackson's as I can get. She's just <laughs> a great lady, great worker. And believe it or not, uh, Liz has retired. Um, Liz, we, we didn't think she really would. She told us she was going to, you know, start slowing down and we really thought, because I mean, she loved work, she loved what she did, and I think she had, you know, really, really, you know, got a lot of value out of out of her work and, and made it made her feel good uh, that she was part of uh, part of our team. Uh, but boy, once she once she got home <laughs> and wasn't coming in every day, she's like, you know, I'm kind of liking this retired stuff. And we've tried to pull her back in a couple of times. She's like, nope, nope, I'm I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now. So. Uh, if you guys really, really need me, I'll think about it. But if you don't, I'm I'm good. So Liz was a key part of that. And the other person is a guy named Merle Schiffstad. Merle as in like Merle Haggard. Uh, sure. Merle's been Merle's been wor- worked with me at the old firm, uh, was one of my key people at the old practice prior to, to Reimer McGinnis. Uh, and Merle is just uh, one of those great accountants, a guy who just loves, to, loves what he does 
uh, he's, he's an older guy. Merle told us a few years ago he was going to retire, but he is still here. <laughs> still going, <laughs> still going full speed. And what's really great about Merle is, uh, you know, to, to meet Merle, you know, and you know, Merle, uh, sure. you know, he, to some people, he comes across as sort of this, you know, curmudgeon, uh, uh, gruff. you know, yeah, kind of gruff, gruff is gruff is a good word. But with the, the the best thing about Merle is our young accountants here love him, and so it is it is not uncommon to see Merle sitting at the desk of one of our entry level you know brand new staff accountants here, and he's showing them how to do something, and it's like you know you you just don't expect it, and so he's got this big heart. He he may have a he may appear a little crusty, uh, but he's really got a big heart and and, and loves being around here, and I, and I think that's why he can't retire. I think he really just loves being a, a part of this this group and having a place to go where we, we give him a lot of freedom to do what he likes to do. And, um, and he's just been, those two people have been a huge part of our success have helped us build the, the foundation for us to grow this firm. There's no doubt about it. Sure. And yeah, and you're right. I've, I know both of them. Uh, they've mm-hmm. worked with both of them and you're right. I really miss, uh, miss Liz. Oh, uh, we do too. Uh, and I'm so glad that that Merle is uh, is still there. In fact, I even yeah, I don't know if you know this, but selfishly because I don't want Merle to retire, I'm uh, always feeling like I'm doing what I can to keep him around. Uh, you know, I'll you. come in. Okay, yeah, I'll come in with like I'll come in with kind of an easy question, and I'll say, Merle, I've researched this online. I've like talked to everybody. There's like nobody on earth that knows the answer to this tax question. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm out of <laughs> options. Can you help me? And he's like, well, that's the easiest thing could be. I mean, he just, you know, he quotes yeah. the code section off the top. Yeah, of his head. Here's all you have to do. And so I do uh-huh. that. And then uh, what, what's the other, other thing I tried to do? I just, you know, be appreciative, right? You know, yeah. Hey, yeah. you know, and then the other one is I'll also just kind of uh, sometimes challenge him. I'll say, I'll say, I'll, I'll just say something like, Merle, you're, you're, uh, uh, it's like time for you to retire. I mean, why are you still here? Don't you kind of a little reverse psychology that I think uh, yeah, because yeah. of the, of the crustiness, just to spite uh-huh. me, he, he may be, uh, yep, stays staying. around, yeah, yeah. but yeah, Merle is no, great. And Merle is also a reminder. I've been a longtime member of strategic coach. That's Dan Sullivan's yeah. company. Uh-huh. And one of Dan's theories is that, so Dan, is 76 and he plans mm-hmm. he's like just started a new 25-year business plan wow. and he doesn't plan to ever retire because in his mind the word uh retire means to be taken out of service and he doesn't want right. to be taken out of service mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and one of the great things about your firm is that in traditional corporate america it's a binary thing you're either right. fully employed or you're retired mm-hmm. Right. And it always has struck me that there's there's kind of a balance in there that's better really for everybody, the, the, the individual, the clients, and even society. And right. it's because I know uh, uh, like Deb, uh, she's still mm-hmm. working with you all, right? Yes. Yep. She and is. She's sort of she's sort of semi-retired, right? Living in well, Arkansas. I'm, yes. I mean, she is living in Arkansas. She she bought, uh, built a house in the country, and. Uh, it was a you know a family plot of, of property. She's from the Arkansas area originally, and uh, always had a dream of, of building a house in the woods, so to speak. Uh, but she wanted to keep working, and so uh, you know Deb was one of our our partner level people here. And it was just great. We hated to see her not be here physically, uh, but she's still working full time for us, you know, completely one hundred percent remotely from from her little place in the in the woods in Arkansas. 
she'll send us pictures every now and then of bears off <laughs> off of her back porch. Uh, so yeah, she's she's in the near Eureka Springs, Arkansas, and it's just you know we're we're very fortunate that we can work remotely in our industry. Obviously, we've proven that here with uh, the pandemic here lately that you can you can work from anywhere, and, and Deb certainly is not really not missed a beat. We've missed seeing her you know physically, but uh, she we we see her on our team's staff meetings every week and. Uh, she's still helping us a great bit. So, yeah, it is. And I think that's great. And I think that could be even be, uh, uh, you know, be the, the game plan for other people. Absolutely. Because, you know, she's already working from home. So she's already right. set up there. She's already has mm-hmm. her dream house. Right. And, uh, and in theory, you know, it's like she shouldn't ever retire from that. She right. should just scale right. back to whatever mm-hmm. she Work wants as much to as do. She wants to. And, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I agree. You know, I I think when, I think, what was it when social security was enacted? I think like the life expectancy was like 61 years old. So it was a classic Ponzi scheme where they really thought they wouldn't have to really pay out to hardly anybody. That's right. And, uh, and then with, you know, life expectancy increasing Mm -hmm. and people's health, uh, yeah, the whole uh, 65 just seems kind of archaic. Kind of silly now. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I think you're you think you're exactly right. And we you know, we've always been concerned over here from just a a space problem. You know, we we own our own facility over here and have had to uh, acquire another small building next to us. And, and, you know, there are times we we used to worry about not having enough physical space. And and for the most part, that fear is sort of gone now. We we, we are very worried about needing more physical space. So you're right. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of the beauties of uh, remote working and technology has, has completely changed our industry. You know, we, we I, I love to tell the, the story here that that, you know, I, I firmly believe that the day is coming when, you know, I don't know, 80 percent of the, of the population can drop their tax documents into the, the feeder of the copy machine. And run it through the copier mm-hmm. and, and on the and then on the the output would be a, a completed tax return that that oh, you know, sure. scanning te- scanning technology and, and just technology in general is, is made made tax 1040 tax prep so so easy for most people uh, they're always going to be the folks that have more complicated returns that, that uh, are going to need help and, and certainly those that just uh, you know they want to outsource it period they're, they don't want to spend the time and effort learning or dealing with it uh, but you know we we're we're certainly been pivoting our practice in the last several years to be much more of that you know, advisor to our clients, not just a tax preparer, not just a mm-hmm. uh, compliance oriented to where we're really trying to help the client, you know, move their business forward and have systems in place and processes in place to help them run and manage their business. And so uh, that's been a, a big turn that we've been um, you know, going through in the last several years with, with especially as we bring in new clients uh, that, hey, we want this type of relationship. We want to be, we'll do your tax return, but we really want to help you, you know, going forward as opposed to looking backwards. Sure. And that's been sure. very, very well received by a lot of our new clients and um, a lot, a lot some, to some degree, a lot more fun for us as well to do that type of work as opposed to just tax returns. So, Yeah, that's really smart because it's clear that mm-hmm. 1040s, if they're not, if they're not already, they're going yeah. to be a commodity. Yep. And, absolutely. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. Well, geez, uh, we're, we're now rounding the, the, the last turn is we're yes. wrapping up the podcast here. So, um, uh, so two kind of remaining questions. Uh, the mm-hmm. first one is, uh, 
You know, what are some of the biggest misconceptions people have about uh, the accounting profession? Um, you know, the, probably the biggest misconception uh, is still that, that if you're good at math, you're a good accountant. Um, you know, I, I think that's been something you've heard for years. Oh, you're good sure, at math. Well, you sure. should work in the accounting world. Well, I mean, while math is important, and, and certainly we deal with a lot of numbers, um, it's not nearly as important, um, you know, as, as, for example, understanding accounting in general. Uh, you know, we love to t- we love to tell our young ones here that we would like them to be involved with, you know, the actual keeping of the books and understanding, you know, double entry accounting. Because if you understand that in our world, you're a better mm-hmm. auditor, you're a better tax preparer, uh, you're sure. better at helping your client put together financial statements. Uh, so, so you know, the fact that you have to be good at math is probably one of those. And then the other one okay. certainly is that, you know, the old misconception of the, you know. Uh, what was the the joke? You know the the difference between an accountant and an actuary. You know an actuary actually looks at your shoes instead of their uh, accountant. An accountant looks at your shoes instead of their own shoes. Yeah, because they're a little more outgoing than the. Actuary. They're a little more outgoing, so they look at your shoes versus their own shoes. Yeah, an actuary looks at their own shoes. So yeah, there's this common misconception that you know the stereotypical accountant uh, who uh, doesn't have a personality and, and uh, would much rather just be holed up in their office amid you know, stacks of books and spreadsheets and, uh, you know, we, you, most people don't remember the green columnar pads and, you know, that, that, that's the conception of most accountants where, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, I, I kind of just, if, if I was to look at my calendar, for example, I mean, I'm meeting this afternoon uh, with a client of ours who owns a lot of oil and gas wells and he owns a lot of real estate. And, and our, the whole purpose of our meeting this afternoon is to say, okay, what can we do to minimize tax? You know, what can we, what let's, we're literally have an hour and a half on our calendar to look at his tax situation and say, what can we do? You know, what are some ideas? And he's got all kinds of, you know, personal, uh, uh, you know, components of kids and wife and, uh, charitable ideas and all these different things. And so, you know, the, the, the work that we do, uh, that in the work that really provides the most value to our clients is way beyond, uh, you know, the preparation of a tax return. And so I think those are probably two of the most uh, biggest misconceptions. Okay. Well, that, uh, uh, that's good. And, uh, mm-hmm. so it sounds like your, your ideal client is that, that entrepreneur, like five to 25 million in revenue yeah. kind of range, or maybe even a little yep. smaller if they're getting started. Uh, yeah, they could be and, smaller. Yeah. And then, yeah, they could uh, be smaller. And then for for team members, do you all hire like for specific needs, or are you kind of always on the lookout for really special people? You know, we are we are always on the lookout for for people, but um, you know, we we tend to hire as we as we are getting you know the workload grows. You know, as people are mm-hmm. just getting becoming overwhelmed, we'll look up and go, you know, we probably need another another tax preparer, or you know, we've made a conscious decision to uh, increase our audit and you know, grow our audit practice. And so we've now, uh, we now have two full-time auditors with an audit partner uh, who, who we have some others that will jump into the audit side and work. But so we have definitely hired to, you know, to fit some needs, but we are always looking. Uh, we just hired a young lady here not long ago. We were not looking um, and she contacted us, you know, it was kind of interesting. She was, uh, really had a lot of initiative and a lot of drive and, 
we we just you know we we were impressed with her resume and her her aggressiveness, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we so, said, you know, let's talk to her. Let's let's talk to her. I, I mean, we're not really looking for anybody, but let's talk to her. And she came in here and just kind of knocked our socks off. Uh, and in fact, my you know, we usually have a process here where we have a lot of people interview every candidate we bring in. And uh, a couple of my mid-level folks had interviewed her, and, and they came. You know, when she was here, they came. She came walked them off and said, "Randy, you need to meet this young lady. You know, you need to come down here and meet her." Uh, and so we hired her, uh, and, and she's working out really, really well. So, so I would say that you know, if we are always on the lookout for talent, uh, because we we definitely are learning it is hard to find talent in what we do, uh, especially a firm our size. Uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of the accountants and CPAs that come out of the big firms, uh, they don't want to stay in public accounting. You know, even though we mm-hmm. have a much better uh, work life balance and a much better culture than a lot of those big firms, that when they come out, they just have this idea that they don't want to stay in public accounting. And so they head to industry. So finding people that want to work in our space uh, has become exceedingly difficult in the last several years. So we find someone who's interested, who sort of fits our personality profile. I mean, we're, if we, if we got a spot for them, we'll hire them. Okay. Well, that, that's, uh, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as we wrap up, are there, were there any questions I didn't ask you that you wish I had? I don't think so. I mean, I think we've covered everything. You know, I guess one of the things that, um, you know, has been a big plus for us. And I don't know if you, we've visited about this much as we did implement the, the EOS model in our firm about five years oh, yeah. ago, uh, yeah. entrepreneurial operating system, a book called Traction by Gino Wickman, who's also a big Dan Sullivan uh, fan, strategic coach. Sure. And I think that's where he got his start. But uh, we implemented that in our in our firm about five years ago. And that's been I think that's been a big key in helping us really sort of crystallize, uh, you know, our, our values, our focus, our our targets. Uh, our niches, you know, all those things that that that, that system requires uh, has been a huge help for us. And so uh, it, we were already a very transparent firm in terms of we shared we shared with our people here how we were doing and how mm-hmm. profitable we were and, you know, the bonus pool and those sorts of things. We've been very transparent. And EOS sort of just helps you with that even more. We Everybody knows our goals. They know we have a scorecard that everybody in the firm gets to see every week as to how we're doing. Uh, towards making progress, and so that's been a huge plus, I think, in our organization. Uh, have okay. a leadership team that uh, meets every week, and anyway, that's been one of the things that that, um, that has really been a plus. So, oh, okay, well, that is great to know. Yeah, I'm a I'm mm-hmm. a fan of that uh, of that work, oh, yeah. and we have uh, also utilized the EOS our, ourselves. Mm-hmm. So, well, good. Well, great thank you for for, yeah. for pointing that out. You bet. Well, Randy, this has been a really uh, enjoyable for me. And uh, I really Thank just you. want to tell you how much I appreciate uh, our friendship through the years and how much I appreciate just the great work you and your firm do. And it's, uh, I feel very appreciative to, uh, to do business with you all. Oh, well, thank you, David. We appreciate it as well. It's been a, a great relationship uh, knowing you all these years and we look forward to, to many more. Great. Well, that sounds great. So with that, we'll wrap it up and, uh, I hope you have a great uh, afternoon, Randy. Thank you very much. You too. You take care. All right. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. There we have it. Another great episode. Thanks for listening in. If you want to continue the conversation, go to icdiscshow.com. That's I-C-D-I-S-C 
SHOW.com. And we have additional information on the podcast, archived episodes, as well as a button to be a guest. So if you'd like to be a guest, go select that and fill out the information. And we'd love to have you on the show. So that's it. We'll be back next time with another episode of the IC Disc Show.